You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. So, I'm really excited about this episode. I have here, all the way from Hong Kong, I have the greatest and amazing Anna Rob. Anna Rob is the co-founder and the managing director for Theater Art Life, one of my favorite sites to learn, read, and educate myself in the arts. I've been following Theater Art Life for a couple years now, and it's been amazing. So, hey, Anna, how are you? I am wonderful, and thank you so much for uh, commenting on my site. It's really uh, wonderful to hear that people are enjoying this project of mine that, that is now turning into a bigger and bigger thing. <laughs> I love it. I, I mean, it's so amazing to find a community of writers and contributors there that are all over every single work available in the arts. I think that is one of the most potential and amazing things the site has and now that I'm a new contributor it's an honor to be there um, and to have the opportunity to write in both English and Spanish to open that community for Latin American people that want to read and know about the the arts industry is just one amazing step for me and I thank you forehand for that. Well, you're exactly the kind of people that we do want on the site. We always look for diversity in uh, experience and location. And, uh, you know, it's just been so wonderful to see, you know, I, I cast a very wide net when I first started. It's like all over the world and all of the arts and all of the live entertainment. And so if anybody knows anything about websites, you know, they always say target an audience and, and get traction with one particular area. But I... I never really wanted to do that. I wanted to to um, open and expose the beauty of people who work in live entertainment around the world. And having lived in four continents and worked in many more countries, I've always found that there is an underlying camaraderie. I don't know if you know that word. Um, uh, and there's an underlying connection that we have, which is a passion for entertainment and, and entertaining people. And I wanted to highlight that also because some of the people that most fascinating people that I've ever met in my life haven't been tech, always the people that are on stage in the spotlight. It's these people in the wings making magic and um, having very fascinating and interesting lives. And so I really wanted to uh, bring those people and elevate those people. And, and I'm glad it's having that effect because I'm very proud of the site. I'm very proud of my contributors and all the people that are involved. So, yeah, it's good. I love that. First, I would love to know more about your experience as a producer and as a production stage manager. I know you have a lot of shows in your back, um, but I want to know about your experience and working in that. Well, I've, I have a very eclectic background. You know, I never had a tra trajectory of this is what I was going to do. I went to university thinking that I was going to be like a set designer. And uh, I realized pretty much through the course that although I liked design, but there wasn't a lot of opportunity in Australia for that kind of uh, job. And I could see a lot more opportunity in stage management. And having said that, I think that 
I am much better. Although I like the aesthetic and I like to, I like the idea of set design and things like that. I think my management skills is much better. And when I left university, I did so many different things. I rigged lights, I ran cables, I was a mechanist at the back of theaters. Like, I was determined not to take a job at a cafe or something to uh, pass pay the bills. I wanted to, if I was gonna, if I'd done a degree, I'd want to at least be in the industry that I had was trying to get into. Uh, and that was a really great background for me to work and understand all of the technical departments and all of the, you know, the crew that works around a stage manager in a, in a, a theatrical environment. So when I became a stage manager, I had a really innate understanding of what everybody else did because I'd done that job. You know, I'd been the carpenter at the back of the stage. I'd been the lighting board operator on a small scale. So, uh, and then that just grew and, and I, I, and Australia was, you know, in Australia, you can't just be in musicals or in plays or things like that. You've got to be diverse. So I did festivals. I did, I worked at the Sydney Opera House. Uh, I did tours around Australia. I worked on corporate gigs and I tried to balance out a little bit. Corporate gigs weren't particularly necessarily enjoyable for me, but they paid a lot more than the theatre productions. So I'd balance my year out with one or the other. And then the work just started coming in and then I decided to throw it all the way, all the way and move to London. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I just wanted to find bigger shows, I think, and, and I wanted to move out of... Um, I was kind of getting pushed into the technical director and production management realm and I really wanted... I love the part about being in a live show. I love that part. And so that's what took me overseas. I ended up in London, then I went to Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas... And then I moved over to Belgium to build the House of Dancing Water. And then I moved to Macau to uh, build and then run that show for seven years. And then then I was ready for the more producing. Uh, I'd, then I'd worn out the stage management of aspect of it and I was ready for producing. So I left in 2017 and now I produce whatever comes at me here in uh, Asia Pacific. That sounds amazing. That Your, your, your journey through shows is just amazing like starting in australia moving to london going to the, the united states going back um and so you're you're currently in hong kong correct yes and are you producing something right right now there i am actually so uh i am producing a, an event i don't know if i'm allowed to talk about it but uh it's fairly kept under wraps but it's a wonderful event it's 13 different venues 13 performing arts groups and it's uh, the theme is united hong kong and uh it's uh, it's a wonderful initiative um by a company here uh to get to ignite the hotel and the arts industries on the back end of covid we do have some restrictions in terms of Uh, only having 50 people per venue. And so I think it's even more challenging than having, you know, 500, 600 people in one venue in one event. We're trying to do it 13 times across the city. So it's a little it's a little bit of a big show to produce in a very short period of time, but it is exciting. And it's what what's nice about it is that the people around me are excited too because a lot of people have been out of work for a long time. So if I call them up and I'm like, do you want a gig? They're like, hell yeah, you know, <laughs> let's do this. Um, so it's really, it's filled me up a little bit, you know, and uh, and I think the community here in Hong Kong, and I'm really glad that we're at a point where we can, we can do it. That sounds so exciting. Um, I'm excited for Every single production that is going on right now in in in, in Asia, uh, in this in East Asia, uh, because for example in Colombia we're still like every single theater is still closed. Um, we are waiting for a second wave, and everything is like a little bit crazy at the moment. Uh, so we are still working with. Um, how to produce a, a, a play, uh, film it, and then launch it through a digital streaming service or um, try to do a live stream from the theater. Uh, and knowing that at the other side of the world, everyone is like going slowly back into the theaters or into the productions. Um, it really brings me a lot of joy and ignites a, a light of hope That we're yeah. going to get there. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get through this. So 
Yeah. I mean, it's been a frustrating time for everybody and there's been a lot of devastation this year. And, you know, I think that's that's going to be the lagging um, effect for, for countries that haven't dealt or managed the pandemic as well as others to see other countries come back to life is inspiring but also frustrating internally because like why can't we be there yet you know and I'm always fascinated about the cultural differences you know Hong Kong is a very compliant society uh, and very community minded and it's actually kind of socially unacceptable to walk outside without a mask here you'd be looked like what are you doing (laughs) you know it wouldn't be it's just not acceptable and then you flip that and in many other countries it's not that perception and not that um, way and it's just a it's just fascinating um, example of how cultures manage themselves isn't it really and then you know and then how we as an arts community have to evolve and adapt and reflect on this time and figure out a way to either protect ourselves for the from the future you know possibility of this or you know and I've seen a lot of wonderful companies pivot and do different things but you know as well as I know that virtual events and virtual experiences are not the same as sitting in an audience and so hopefully when we all can do that together again the communities even outside the arts communities are going to be invigorated to show up and participate I know I'm looking forward to getting out there so I'm sure they are you know I'm sure the rest of the world is too and and a lot of people are just really excited to go back into a cinema into uh, a theater into whatever they can just like be Mm. outside be with people and that is something i think everyone is looking forward to um i wanted to go back a little bit at your work as a producer or and as a production stage manager a couple years ago um how was it working in both roles like when was the moment that you were ready or you told yourself i am ready to leave the stage management aside and uh embark the producer life yeah it's you know I don't know if there was a a single moment that I went oh this is the time (laughs) but uh (laughs) I had you know there's a wonderful book I read called outliers and in in that book they were talking about for anybody to master something they need to do 10,000 hours of it you know and I thought that was kind of an interesting concept and I looked back at um my 10 years in the circus realm between Cirque du Soleil and House of Dancing Water and then even before that and I thought I've done more than 10,000 hours of this and um, I feel like it became uh, there's no fear there's no uh, I don't want to say there's no excitement because I always enjoy that but it was just something that I felt like I had mastered with all the calling that I've done I've done over 250 show stops I've trained countless show callers to call the house of dancing water i've i've spent many hours running trainings and calling and there's no growth there for me anymore you know i think um i always want to be on the cutting edge of learning something new and 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 i i wore that out right so and i i loved it like i went and did a show calling uh, arena gig in um dubai in january and it was, and I went back in there and I had an absolute ball because it was like a one-off event and it was with a challenging team and it was a short timeline and I went and did it and I was like, boom, done, cool. So I still, it's not like I've like completely thrown that out the window, but I, I just, that day-to-day um, calling and that I think I've, I've moved from that because I've, I've felt that I've mastered, uh, and I don't want to say that's ma- I've mastered it, do you know what I mean? But I felt so comfortable and there was no growth um, growth there for me so then I wanted to throw myself out into the realm of and it's really funny because I was like well I've always considered myself a technical stage manager I I, I'm more on the technical side than I am on the artistic side although I love working with creative people I'm the kind of person you want next to you from the creative person there's the creative person and then there's me I want to make (laughs) your vision a reality I'm not the person to come up with the vision that's not me but I'll make your vision a reality and I love to work with creative people and um so when I left House of Dancing Water, I was like, well, I've, I've been in this show calling realm and in this show for so long. Why don't I just throw myself into a digital agency and then I'll throw myself in. I've got to figure out everything about projection mapping and, pro, you know, media servers and all of this stuff. And like I threw myself back into the deep end of a learning curve 
Um, and, you know, I'd been out of that realm for about 10 years. So I was like, okay, got to learn fast, you know, about these this equipment and how it works. And interestingly enough, I look back on that as being quite an, a good decision because in a lot of theatre, arts, events, um, gigs that I do, there's always a lot of digital media now. So now me understanding how those things come together uh, from, a, from a digital aspect helps me produce uh, and interpret that technology. You know, for, for some people, there's always a disconnect between creative people and technical people sometimes um, of what's possible because um, the technical guy is talking about what's technically possible and then the artistic person is talking about their ideas. And I always see myself as the conduit between that. Like, okay, I see your crazy idea. I understand the technical element. And now I'm going to find a way to make that a reality. And I'm very, very passionate about doing using technology to the best of its ability to serve the artistic vision, not just to use technology for the sake of being a new projector or a new thing or whatever. Like none of that means anything unless you have this vision. And so I always constantly have these conversations. It's like, okay, you want to use that in your equipment, but what is it serving your story? What is it serving you? What artistically are you trying to do with it? Because until, until you do that, you'll miss the mark artistically if you're just trying to use cool kit. You know, nobody's surprised about new gear these days. They're like, new gear comes, you buy one thing and the next day, you buy an iPhone, the next day a new one comes out, yeah, right? So totally. it's not a surprise. It's not like exciting anymore. So don't think that you're going to show anything new to an audience that they're going to be wowed by from technology. It's how you use that technology that they will be wowed by. So I'm always trying to find that that moment when I produce shows and be that bridge between the technical people and the creative people then, yeah absolutely and that's a that's a great thing to be because you're always innovating with the things you have yeah absolutely and it's just a great place to be you know you move into it and also you can give other people's opportunity other people opportunities to you know, it's quite a fascinating thing to be able to build a team rather than be part of the team. And then you can see the influence on that production or on that execution of a, of a gig because of the team that you've put together. And I'm, I'm starting to really grow to like that aspect because I love to work with good people. I love to work with talented people. And I'm always meeting people and be like, you're now going in my book. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so then they get a call from me like two years later. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Come and do this gig with me. Um, and I love that. And even Theatre Art Life has fed that um, community of people that I've met and um, worked with and understood and know their talents. And so people come to me quite often and say, do you know somebody who can do this? I'm like, actually, I do. Let me give you their content. And so I'm kind of being this, like, dealer of talented people. I'm like, <laughs> yep, I give you this person, I give you that person. Yeah, it's fun. I'm someone perfect for the book, let me... Get my address book and I'll get back to you. <laughs> exactly. Let me, let me go through it. Yeah. And can you recall the best experience you've had working all these years? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day because the, the question was asked for me in uh, uh, our old university was doing an article on me and, and, I, and they were saying, well, you know, what's the most proud moment or... Uh, your favorite moment and you know I think you could easily point to the the times that I worked with the Beatles you know um, I created a 250 million dollar show in Macau um, but I'm equally proud of the uh, show little play I did in a warehouse in western Sydney for street kids you know and I I just don't have any sense of scale for me for me it's just art and and I and I, I come from that place where it actually doesn't matter what role I play or how much I get paid I just love what I do and so uh I couldn't pick because in every place or in every job I find so much enjoyment I have so much laughs I I find something that I really love about every show and every production that I've done and it goes in my little dossier of of experience and joy and passion for what I do and I and I think that little packet that I've collected over 20 years is what my what I'm proud of not like one singular moment and that is a life lesson for mm. everyone because you can you can honestly put a scale on the best experience the worst experience 
it's it, it is work and it has its pros and its cons and obviously you've had obstacles in a, in each but in the end it is the work you're proud of and i love that you just said that yeah i think it's really important to look at the you know no and also in every job isn't always a thousand percent enjoyable right And I tend to be a very optimistic person, so I look at the challenges and I'm like, okay, well, how do I get around those? Okay, how do we move forward? And some parts, you know, staying at the House of Dancing Water for seven years was a challenge emotionally because, you know, you're doing the same show in and out, in and out. But what that has now given me in terms of understanding of operations, the daily challenges of what people do. So if I'm going back to producing shows that has an operational reality, I've lived and breathed it, not only for just a couple of years, I lived it for seven years. So I know the long-term problems. I know the long-term issues. Also, it challenged me a lot more as a manager because I think in the arts, you tend to do a project with a team and then move on. Do a project with a team, move on. When you've got an issue with a team member that you work with permanently, it's not like you can just be like, oh, well, I won't be working with that person for three months. I'll just let it slide. Like you got to deal with it and you got to deal with any conflict in your team and you've got to deal with any issues. And now that's taught me, especially in any kind of conflict situation in terms of team members, then I've got to get in there and manage that really effectively because otherwise it becomes a cancer to the team or the, or the show and then, and then it reflects badly on stage. And I love that lesson. It was hard lessons to learn because... I didn't always, in the start of my management, early management career, understand that, and I made mistakes, and then I got better at it. And now I'm like, "What? You got a problem? All right, let's talk about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's deal with it. Let's not let's not let this fester because um, it just it just causes trouble." And that is social skills, like mm -hmm. confronting someone and being like, "Hey, we can be friends. We can have our differences, but let's work this out together." That is totally yeah, and social respect skill. them. Respect them that they've got their own path and their own opinions and their own journey, and and maybe that doesn't fit with your show. Maybe that doesn't fit with this environment. Maybe it doesn't fit with the role that they're in. But we work through that together. And then when it dis if they stay or they go, it's a mutual decision, not me as a boss saying, "Well, you're not right. Let's go. You get out." Right. So it's more like, do you do we see that this isn't working? Yes, we see. Okay. Or let's find a way to navigate through that and continue to work together. So. So we've talked about social skills. We've talked about um, overcoming obstacles and problems. Mm -hmm. What are other valuable skills that you think a production manager or a production stage manager should have? Like the kit. Agility. You know, um, I think the the way that I've been able to stay employed even throughout COVID is the my ability to to be adaptable to any project. I'm constantly learning, I'm constantly taking in information and and I really think, you know, I, I don't don't pencil yourself off into one genre of entertainment. I think you want to keep yourself keep your borders open. You want to leave those opportunities. You never know what you may or may not enjoy. And, you know, having worked for a digital agency I can do everything from an installation to a theme park sort of thing to a, a, a one-off um, arena event show calling to an operational consulting to you know um, producing a live event in here in Hong Kong so that diversity is is such a good skill set now because now I can be like oh yeah I can do that job oh yeah I can do that job so I think agility is is one thing and then I think from a global perspective that's something that I've really started to value um, recently is uh, cultural understanding and I've worked so many in so many different countries and and cultures and 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 uh, also within in a circus community you've also got a lot of cultures just within your company you know and and I've really learned a lot and I also teach um, here in Hong Kong, well, I have taught in the last couple of years a course called um, Cross-Cultural Communication in Entertainment. And they and that has a lot of theory on, on how cultures operate, their psychology, their motivations. And it's really helped feed me and make me understand certain people and certain cultures and has given me the tools to work with them better when I'm landing in the Middle East and suddenly I'm surrounded by Emiratis, you know, and... 
I'm trying to get them to, you know, because in any, in any live entertainment group, you're bringing people together, right, to make something happen. And that group of people each have their own motivations, their own cultural backgrounds, and especially here in Hong Kong, it's always a diverse group of people. It's never a whole bunch of Hong Kong people and then me. You know, there's people from UK, there's people from France, there's people from Hong Kong, there's people from China. And so in any construct of a gang of people, there's all those cultural nuances and working and understanding them. And I think, you know, more and more in our arts community, that's there, that diversity, right? And I, and I think even in a local level, culturally, you might grow up in a poor environment and you're, the person that you're working with has grown up in a rich environment and suddenly you're working together. And those perceptions, motivations and understanding and, and comprehension of the world is very different. And so I love to analyse that and I love to work around that and through that because I think the more that you understand people, the better that you are at bringing the right people together and producing good shows. And that's become more and more important to me in the last few years since I've started teaching that course. It's really fed me um, in my work as well. That's, that's great. Um, getting to know people and know their backgrounds and know the baggage they come with, mm. um, I think it really enhances the, the shows and, and enhances the production and enhances ourselves as human beings. Um, mm. we, we get another perspective and we get um, another point of view. And, and I think that is something as artists we really need. Not staying on one thing, as you say, and being open to a lot of things. And now that the the arts, or the, the entertainment industry is having uh, a standstill and a slow recovery, you just told us about this project in Hong Kong. And um, I was wondering, what other type of projects do you want to work in? Um want to work in or are available to me <laughs> well, so, both. Uh, so well no so i'm actually never ever doing one thing and that's uh like so in the moment um i'm also helping dragon in the planning of putting the house of dancing water back on so i worked for dragon in macau but now i'm working for the entity out of luxembourg who are gonna and i'm gonna help plan the trajectory of how to get produce that back on stage after so long down they closed down in june and so and there's moving timelines there because access to macau and all of those uh things so there's that project that i'm also working on i'm pitching on a launch event in Dubai with a group of company that I worked with in 2018. So I'm helping that project and that's kind of like a launch day with an installation and some digital gear and things like that. And then I'm, I've been asked to potentially do a gig in January in either Saudi Arabia or Dubai to do some more show calling if the projects happen. So there's a few things cooking and I, At, you know, this stage of COVID and everything, I don't say no to anything because also, like, it might happen or it might not happen. And then when the contract's on the table, I'll then be like, should I be doing this or should I not? But um, <laughs> I always like to be realistic with clients and employers about where I'm at and what I'm doing so that there's this total transparency and they know where I'm at. Um, but um, it's, 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 you know, you got to hustle to keep yourself employed in the entertainment industry, right? And so... Uh, I like, again, I come back to the point, I, I pretty much like whatever I do. So I don't really, I, I like the projects here that are happening in Hong Kong and Macau because it keeps me close to my family. You know, in 2019, I spent almost three months in the Middle East and that's, I have two young kids under 10 years old. So that's hard on them and it's hard on me. And, uh, and so when I've got projects that are close to home, I'm, I'm even more happy. You're always down to take them if they're close to home. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. The last thing I, I, I want to talk to you about is um, about theater art life. Because um, mm -hmm. I know we, we, we already like introduced the, the site and the platform. Um, but how did it start? Because I, I, I think you as a co-founder, I'm guessing here, um, never thought that it would 
explode like that and 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 be such a big space for entertainment people to go and look stuff up mm. and we're only just starting don't worry martin we're only just beginning i have plans for days i just have more time and more money i need <laughs> <laughs> um i i the i love the project i have endless ideas and more and more like if i could get a bigger team behind me i like i just know i'm even considering maybe trying to get some funding and stuff just to kick it further along the the path um i love the project um how did it start very good question i was stuck in macau i was looking to move on um from the house of dancing water but due to you know my husband working on the show and the kids in the place i was not i could and I hadn't found another job and we didn't know where we were going. I was feeling a little bit uh, stuck. And I have a very good friend here who's um, uh, basically a, a, a psychologist slash life coach, etc. And And I never went to see her as a session, but we went to dinner one night. And she said, um, and I was expressing my frustration of like what was happening and needing to sort of, you know, be creative in another way. And she said, okay, well, tell me um, if you were to sum up in three words what your life, what, what your life is and what is about your life, what, what would it be? And I went home and three words were theatre, art and life. They're my three passions. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so nice. <laughs> and so, I, well, that's it. That's what it is. So I, um, I then... Um, went to I went home and I thought about theater art and life and then I thought well, well how does that manifest in um sorry I got my eyes worn um the how does that manifest in my life and she said take the passion that you have for your job because now that's really hard to maintain and stuff in uh in your work and you need to push that into something else and so I was like well what would theater art life be and it, and it came back to that all of these community of people and these wonderful people that um uh, you know, I've met around the world and I want to elevate them and, and that's that's enriched me and that's enriched my life. So that was the foundation of like the seed of the idea was let's make a website, you know, where we can talk about that and we have contributors. And then I had a friend at the time who'd done some marketing and stuff like that. So we got together, we brainstormed. My sister's a graphic designer, so I got her to design. And the beautiful thing about my sister is she knows me, right? So even though she did lots of options of what theatre art what life might look like, I think she knew exactly the one I was going to pick, the logo <laughs> and everything like that. And, um, and so she, uh, she did the design and then we just opened the business here in Hong Kong and we just started super small. I literally called up 50 of my friends and said, can you write me three articles, please? And they're like, what? And I'm like, please write me articles. And we're gonna, I'm going to start a thing. And, um, <laughs> and then it just grew from there. And, and, and now it's just I have a, a lovely team that helped me on webinars and digital content. And um, we're all over the globe. You know, we've got people in the UK and the Philippines and Australia and America. And, uh, and uh, I just... It's been a tough year for Theatre Art Life as well because of the, you know, a lot of subscriptions we've lost because people, I understand, got to pay for their life before they pay for their uh, uh, things. But for me now, it's like uh, we're, this is the time for us to push through and still be there for the arts community, even more so. It's it's about, and if I've got the financial means to be able to continue to support Theatre Art Life because I'm still working and everything like that, then this is the time to push pull through, and and that's what we're doing now as a team. We're we're there to we're continuing with the webinars, we're continuing with the with the content, we're we're reaching out even more and keeping people ignited about those conversations and let them not forget that we are still here and we're going to be back, right? <laughs> Stronger than ever. <laughs> exactly. Because I know you 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 basically have a one webinar weekly about a lot moment, of different yes. topics. <laughs> And I've seen a lot of this week. We're not doing it because of the election week. So I'm like, actually, for me, because I'm organizing this big event, I'm like, but it's wonderful because we have wonderful people showing up, and the webinars are the people that we have on the webinars are great, you know. So yeah, we're we're pumping out the content now. It's great. And where is it headed? Like you, you just said you have a lot of ideas and a lot of projects that may be cooking up. Where is theater art life headed? Honestly, I really want it to be, you know, the, the space that we are at doesn't really exist. 
the global media side. You know, in the UK, you've got the stage and in you know US, you've got Playbill and in Australia, you've got Arts Hub. And, and then there's other sites that have different models in terms of recruitment and all of that sort of thing. And I feel like in my mind, we're going to that media site, that global media space where people go to uh, and, and how that how that forms will really be dictated by the audience. I'm not attached to, I'm very attached to how my brand goes out in terms of the ethos and the content. Um, I'm very protective of like what we promote and what people, you know, how, how many people a day like, let me blog on your page. I'm like, are you in the entertainment industry? No. So forget about <laughs> it, right? I'd rather have somebody in the entertainment industry who doesn't write well write something about their life than a, a blogger that writes about tech stuff trying to write about the entertainment industry you can see straight through that you know it's like I don't need writers like you I want people in the industry so you know I've stunted it I could I could have grown in many other ways but I'm very protective of the ethos of what it's supposed to be so the growth is long and it's slow and the net is wide but my goal is then to to really my goal would be to be that media site where people can read about arts around the world and learn. I want to directly connect people working in the industry to people who are younger, growing up in the industry, to learn from them. Not just, you know, a lot of the teams is like, not like just what you do, but how you do it. Because I think that's really the the key. And, and a lot of people are sometimes still protective a little bit about their knowledge, but I'm like, you want to know about how I do something? I'll tell you from here till Christmas. Like, I think that if we make better stage managers or if we make better crew or if we make better things then we make better shows and so I don't think it's something to be um, kept internally it's something to be shared and that's my philosophy Um, so I want it to grow in that way and I would like to offer you know eventually courses perhaps Um, I'd like to have theatre art life conferences where we bring groups of people together um, to talk about the the evolution of the arts I want um, far more video content. I want um, a bigger YouTube channel. Uh, you know, I just, for me, the in now that I've discovered the world of media, the possibilities are endless, and and I really um, I want to be at the forefront. And then, if you're in that place of notoriety, then you've got you can be in a position of influence in in certain arts communities to promote and uh, that sort of thing. So, again, I think only in like five-year lots at the moment because it's too overwhelming to go beyond and I want to keep meeting those milestones that we're trying to hit um and I and I like where we're at and I and you know at some point perhaps when I have a bigger team I won't be as closely connected to the day-to-day of reading every article and doing that and I know I'm going to look back at this moment and go oh this was the best time right because I was so in it um, I'm actually even scared of getting it big because then I have to kind of step back and let other people run it. It's nice to be in this zone where you're very connected with everything that happens. You're talking to every people. And, and also when you relinquish that baby, are you going to be able to control how it goes, right? So there's that, as a business owner, that's always a challenge of like owning it, but delegating it. And then, you know, and then that balance of maintaining, you know, you've, you've seen companies that, you know, sell out or get bigger or whatever. And then people are like, oh, it wasn't like it used to be, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the challenge. Like keeping it, keeping your essence well kept. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. keep it in your original. And- yeah, because I think that's what people are attracted to and that's why people join it, because of that sense of community. And as you get bigger, it's really, it's hard work. It's, I have a lot of meetings early in the morning. I have a lot of meetings late at night. I, um, uh, and I enjoy every moment. I, we had a meeting last night with um, the guy who literally, um, a, a guy that directed Phantom from New York in Japan via Zoom because they couldn't get there. And the whole story was like, Amazing. And I said to Shelley at the end of the recording, I said, we should have, at the end of the discussion, I said, we should have recorded that because that was like amazing content. Like, why did we miss that? We just had this whole conversation about how he did it. And it was amazing. And I was like, we just, anyway, we'll get him on a podcast and we'll talk about it again. But now I'm feeling like, you know, we can be a lot more raw about that. If we have that conversation that's recorded, we just put it out there and then people know, you know, like we don't have to double it up. We can keep producing really quickly so 
It's about maximise. I watch a lot of people who do it well in the media in terms of notoriety, in terms of their, their social media presence and stuff, and I learn from them, watch and learn, and then I, and then I, I implement it in our site, you know. Because I know that, that you're really active on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and on Twitter, and on Facebook. I, I remember mm-hmm. I, I first met Theatre Art Life through Facebook. Right. Yeah, I know you have a, a social media presence going on. And all of our reach has been organic. So, you know, we have 36,000 people a month averaging this year just reading the site. And, um, you know, it's gone up to 90,000 in some months, depending on, you know, what articles have been trending and stuff like that. And we've put zero money into marketing, which is pretty like... And I honestly, most of the reason is because I don't even know how to do that. You know what I mean? Like, I need to hire somebody. I'm like, can you do that marketing thing? Because I just, I don't even know. Like, I've had a hard enough time knowing all the administration, the back end of the website, figuring out where we're going to go with webinars and things like that. To, you know, it's such a broad, you know, it's a, it's a business. There's lots of things to do. So I'm really proud of the team and also the traction that we've got even through organic reach. Um, and so I'm always like, you haven't heard of us yet? Oh, my God, I've been pushing out content for three years. Why, 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 why haven't you seen it yet? You know, those damn algorithms. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I fight with the, with the algorithms all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, Anna, it's been lovely having you. I have one last question for you. Tell me. Which are your top five shows? Oof. <laughs> I love to ask this question. Oh my goodness. Uh, on on my first episode, shows. I did that and I answered my top five. Obviously, they're musicals, but since you've worked in a lot of different type of shows, I want to hear your five, your top five. Okay. Number one, and I'll go chronologically, The one of the shows that got me into theatre that I think really blew me away when I was a kid was a show that I went and saw somewhere in country Australia, I can't even remember where the location was but it was um the woman in black have you heard of that play so no but i'll um, look for it <laughs> the woman in black there was a movie made out of it as well it was pretty creepy but um the woman in black is a very old play and it has um a premise it's really only got three characters in the show and the premise is that if you see the woman in black, that your firstborn child will die. And it's this whole um, narrative along that. And what's really amazing about it is that it's a very simple play, but it uses very old theatrical tricks to manipulate the audience in terms of quick lighting changes and, you know, and, 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 and it's, they're very specific in the script. And I remember being, like, literally terrified because even at the end of the show you know, there's the whole narrative that and the, the woman in black turns up like in the audience as well. So you might be sitting in the thing and you look to the left and there's this dark shadow and you're like, ah! And also there's, there's a few moments where they're running around the stage and I don't know how they did it at the time. I could probably figure it out now that I've been in entertainment for years, but they're running around the stage and then suddenly the spotlight went boom in the center of the stage and she was there. And you had no idea how she got there. And it was a very simple theatrical trick because of where they, they were leading your eyes to look. And I just remember being terrified. And the premise at the end of that um, show is when they come out for the bows, the woman in black doesn't come out and bow. So it's like it's like she if you saw it's like she wasn't in the show because she doesn't bow. And then you like walk away from the play going, if I saw her, was she a ghost or was she not? Because and 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 I I left like I was sold. I was like, damn, that is good, you know. Because I'm like creeped out. I mean, I knew it wasn't real, but like to leave with that feeling of like that final nail nail on the coffin in terms of the narrative of the of the play was the lady doesn't come out and bow, so you don't actually know if she was the ghost or not, and you were imagining seeing it, you know. Super good. So that was number one. I'd say then, you know, in Dorkley the next real experience I had when I was a kid was the Phantom of the Opera. And I had never, I was a small country town girl. So like I'd never seen something like that. And so I remember just being completely spellbound when I saw that. And uh, I was, I used to listen to the soundtrack over and over and over and over again for much. So I think those two shows would, I say my favorites because they drove me into the industry and they exposed me to the arts that I, I really, really enjoy. 
And so that's two. Oh, God, I've got three more. Um, three more choices. Honestly, I'm a really bad audience member because I don't get to... I'm so busy making stuff, I never get to go to anything. So, like, I, I have to... If I'm going to say the other shows that I, I really love, um, it's because I've probably worked on them or whatever like that. The third one was this... Um, uh, the one that I mentioned earlier, which was uh, called The Longest Night. We did it in a warehouse in Western Sydney and it was a bunch of quite notorious people in the um, sort of Western Sydney, um, a couple of DJs, um, some break dancers, and they weren't particularly actors, but they'd gone to Adelaide and they'd worked with some street kids and they'd really um, permeated and understood their lives. And so they came back and they, they, we, did, we did this play. We set it up in a warehouse. It was very rudimentary. Um, and it was called The Longest Night. And um, it basically had this trajectory where they all sort of, you know, got drunk and got high and then social services came the next day to take their child away. And it was, it was a really dark play. But everybody, the street kids or people who were underprivileged from Western Sydney were invited to come and see that. And I've never seen such a profound change in an audience by these kids laughing at the people drinking beers and smoking pot. And, like, we had, like, real drinks on stage. Like, we were, like, we, we had to be convincing for these people who were... Um, in that in that community so they thought that was amazing and then we totally shifted their their emotions by showing the the dark side of that life and um when you finish a show with dead silence with a you know a bunch of like street kids you know you've won right and i think theater is about profound change and i and i don't think that i can recall any other show where i have physically seen such an immediate profound change in a group in an audience than that moment and i think that's why that show really sticks with me and i was one of the ones that i'm really proud of participating in you know so that's that one that's three um four would probably be the house of dancing water because i i put my heart and soul into that show for nine years from the the time it was a picture on a piece of paper to its reality and run it and um after I'd worked at Cirque du Soleil, I'd really wanted it to be, I had seen, you know, they did a good job with the Beatles show, but I, I could see the potential of using the beast more, the machine more, the things more. I think there was like, and you know, it's very hard because you've got so many influencing factors with the Beatles because you've got all the Beatles opinions about what can and can't be done, plus the director, plus, you know, so there was a lot of cooks in the kitchen in that show, if you know, so I, I could see how that was influencing the, the the final product and so when I went to to do the House of Dancing Order I was very determined to uh, maximize the direct Franco Dragone's exposure to what was possible technically as we spoke about before bringing the artistic and technical together and I feel like if you've ever seen the show if you see the show the transitions and the way the stage moves uh, between all of the, the acts and things is unlike any other circus show because a lot of the times they do act and then there's transition, 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 um, act. And in this show, the transitions are just as spectacular as the acts themselves. And Franco and I were very passionate about that and I, I love that we delivered that. So that's four. Five. Ooh. Last one. Oh, the last one. <laughs> last one. Um, mm, 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 mm. I don't know if I have a last one. Don't know. I think I'm done. I'm you have that clean slate Martin. for another show to come in. You have a clean slate yeah. to have one show to come in. Yeah, I got. I got to wait. Or maybe the last one can be any show I'm currently working on. That's my favorite. You know. <laughs> <laughs> always one thing or like one dancer or one moment or one actor in one show that I adore I don't want to ever encapsulate it in that one show you know I think that you know um I would love to see Hamilton live that would be a good thing um I hope that happens in my future that's what I want to do maybe that'll be my will. fifth I know it will I mean yeah. I, I've seen the pro shot and if, if the pro shot is amazing I cannot imagine how it would be live Well, they're going to mount it in Australia. So I'm hoping that I can get back to Australia when they put that on and I can watch it there. I know you will. <laughs> yeah. And I have to take my kids to Harry Potter because my kids Oh my God, like... please do. I loved yeah. it. I really? loved Cursed Child. I did. I'm, I'm a really Harry Potter fan. Um, and I saw it two years ago 
and oh my god, it's one of the best shows I've seen ever. Really? Ever. It, it, everything is just perfect. The magic effects, the, the dance, the music, um, the, 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 the performers, I mean, it's just everything. Everything. Well, my- My son would love that because over the summer he read all seven books in seven weeks. Like he read one a week. And then he got The Cursed Child, the play, and read that. And uh, so he's completely obsessed. So I'm like, it is my mission to get him to... And he does theatre classes and stuff as well. So he... He, I don't think he'll ever become an actor, but it's good for kids to be involved in theatre, right? So I just I throw him in it and um, he enjoys it. And I'm sure he's going to love Harry Potter when we see it. I know he will. I mean, I, I, I need a Harry Potter, I mean a Cursed Child bootleg or a pro shot as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my I have a good friend who is the... Um, stage manager on that so she's waiting for it to open back up in uh in melbourne right now so gotta get there gotta get there yeah (laughs) well anna thank you so much for being here for giving us your experience your knowledge it's been amazing and i cannot wait to know your future projects and everything that is coming your way and everything that is cooking up yeah well now you're part of the Theatre Art Life contributor gang, so we're going to be staying in touch for sure. Yeah, and um, I am really. We have to get your podcast on our um, on our list on our website on our evolution page, and um, yeah, and then we we're going to stay in touch for sure. Thank you so much. I am really happy being a contributor. I have a list like with ten topics for articles to write, um, so I'm going to. I know we're going to keep in touch a lot. So yeah. thank you so so much for being here. You're most welcome. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.